today and welcome to another great message from Mr. Christian Outreach Church. We pray you'll be inspired and equipped by this teaching. For more information on Noosa Christian Outreach Church, please check out our website at noosacoc.org.au. Enjoy. So I've got a message for you today and the way I roll is I put titles on things and little compartments. So um, my message for you today is called This is My Beloved Son. And uh, most of us would be familiar with that, that text probably in Matthew where Jesus uh, went to get baptised just as a, an example and obedience to his father, I suppose. And he comes up out of the water and... Um, the Holy Spirit descends on him and then a voice is heard from heaven and it says that, that those words, this is my beloved son. And I was meditating on that and I thought, no, there there's an opportunity for God to say so many things. That was the first thing he was going to say to people about his son and he could have said, oh, this is the saviour that's been sent to save you or this is the redeemer or lots of things about Christ's ministry, but I, I really love it that the very first thing he wanted the world to know is, this is my beloved son, that he wanted to know that he loved his son. And I suppose that says something about the life that Jesus has already led, but what I really like is what it says about the father, that the primary thing, and this being Father's Day, I couldn't help but hit on it, the primary thing that um, he wanted the world to know, and I think that he wants us to know, the very first thing is um, that he loves us, that he loves his son, and he wants people to know that. And I, I thought about that, and I thought it's so, such a simple thing, but it's, it's a thing I'm going to um, be focusing on today. And then after that, the, the next thing he said, and in him I'm well pleased. And what I really like about that little sentence as well is that Jesus had not done a single ministry, a single uh, miracle, sorry. He had not done any ministry. He had not saved anybody. But right at the start of his ministry, um, God was saying, and in him I'm well pleased. So just soak that up, people. I really like that. But right at the start of our walk with God, you know, God can be speaking that over our lives, that he loves us and he's, and he's well pleased with us. So my main, my main idea is our Heavenly Father loves us deeply. And I forgot to actually just have to... I've got all the scriptures marked except for that one. In Ephesians, if you want to turn there or if you're looking it up, it's in Ephesians 3.17 that I want. There's so many different places where God lets us know this. That's um, our Heavenly Father... Loves us deeply. There we go. See Ephesians 3.17. And it reads... Whoops. I just skipped over that somehow. Sorry. All right, so Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height 
to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And I don't know whether you've ever counted it up there, but the four measurements that God makes, uh, the measurements that God makes for his love actually total four. And usually when you measure things, if you're measuring a box or something, you measure it in three dimensions, depth, height, breadth. But he goes to the extent of actually measuring it in four measurements, in 4D. And I really like that. It's like I'm really trying to get this point home to you. I'm actually telling you how much I love you in a four-dimensional sense. And um, yeah, it just speaks to me that you know, God loves us so deeply. Now, if you're sitting there now, right now, and you've been a Christian for about 20 years and you're just about to nudge the person next to you and say, uh, give me a nudge in 15 minutes. I, I know this part that God loves me and um, I'm just going to go into sleep mode and uh, I, I can understand that. But let me challenge you. I'm actually going to give you permission. If you're that person, I'm going to give you permission to go in sleep mode. But my challenge to you is that you have to be... I wrote down these things, so I'll say them. If you want to go into sleep mode, you have to be able to tell me that you are living in total peace. You are completely restful. You're always in hope. You never have any doubt and you're always abounding in joy. Because I believe that that's when we get a really deep revelation of how much God loves us, I think that's where he wants us to be 24-7 every day. So if you're at that place, I'll give you permission to go into sleep mode. I'm not, so I'm preaching to myself. But I really think this is such a foundational thing for us to live out of, that how really deep God's love for us is, the love of the Father. All right, so I've got a couple of sub-ideas here under my main idea, which is our Heavenly Father loves us deeply. And I want you to consider um, a beach, and uh, there's a big swell running at this beach, and it's like a cyclonic swell, and each wave that comes in is eroding that beach. And your beach, the beach represents your belief that God loves you deeply. But those waves that are coming in are eroding that concept. And I believe every day of our lives in this dark world that we live in, there's, there's thoughts, there's ideas, there's, if I can use the word stuff, there's stuff that's coming that is eroding that, that concept that God loves us deeply and trying to take away that peace and that foundation. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about two of those waves. I'm going to give them titles. And the first wave that's coming to erode that belief that your heavenly father loves you deeply is performance thinking. I believe, I believe performance thinking has the ability to erode that deep understanding of God's love. And this is how it goes a little bit. But hang on, hang on. Before we go any further, I really deeply believe in an interactive church and an interactive body of Christ. So I'm going to get you a little bit involved here. So what I want you to do before we launch into this is I want you to maybe put your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you and I want to just go say a prayer. I'll give you the grounds of the prayer and if you want to add to it, um, you'll get the sense of what the prayer is about. So if you want to add to that as you're praying to that person or if you want to just listen to what I want to say here, that's fine. But yeah, put your hand on the person next to you. Let's pray about this, this performance thinking thing that can become so deep-rooted in us. So today, Father, please continue to renew our minds. Please continue to reveal how our performance and your love are not connected. That how 
they're not dependent on one another, Father, that your love is totally independent of how we live and, and how we perform our daily rituals. Just pray for fresh and deep revelations that they are not connected in any way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so nearly all of our lives, most of you probably get a bit of an idea that nearly all of our lives we've been conditioned into this performance thinking idea that we do something, whether it be at school or through sport or just at home, and we are rewarded and we make the connection that that also um, is connected to the amount of love, the amount of acceptance that we get. And it's a really hard thing sometimes to break it away from how God treats us. And so we go through our lives thinking that the better I perform, the more I'm going to be loved or rewarded. And um, that's not the way at all that it operates in the kingdom of God. Not that I'm, I'm not saying that there's never any rewards for things that we do, but God's love and our performance are totally not connected. So let me ask you, what's, just to bring this point home, let me ask you, what's the greatest act of love somebody can do for you? To die for you? And we read in the scriptures that, you know, Jesus backs that up, that dying for somebody is the greatest act of love. So here's this bit of a revelation I had, and I, I think I'm on the money here, that, that God has already done the greatest act of love for you that he's ever going to do for you into all eternity. He's not going to die for you again. And the really interesting thing I, I, when I think about this that really backs up this idea of his love not being related to our performance is he actually did the greatest thing he's ever going to do for you while we, we were still in our sins. How's that? That he's not going to ever do anything greater than that and it was not based clearly. He didn't wait for us to clean up our act. He died for us while we were still in our sins, while we were actually um, quite um, alienated from him. And that's backed up. Yeah, that's, that's found in Romans 5. I probably all read that, but... Here, Romans 5, 8 reads, But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it speaks so clearly against this concept that we have to earn God's love. He, he's made us to be loved, and he is the, he's really good at actually doing that. That's, that's, his, um, that's what he's so wanting to do to meet that love in our lives, to give into our lives this love. All right, the second idea that I want to bring under this heading of how deeply our Father loves us, to look at um, there that performance thinking can erode that idea that God loves us deeply. And there's another one that sometimes creeps in too, and I'm going to just call it um, the suffering conclusion. Now, I can't stand here and pretend to understand all the all the intricacies and the details and the complication of how suffering in this world and God's love for us are connected because it's a multifaceted topic and it's, uh, yeah, it's one that we often get asked, of course, in Christianity. But um, I do know this. I know that no amount of human suffering can undo what took place on the cross that no amount of suffering that we can do can somehow lessen what took place on that cross. Now, if you can imagine um, 
somebody comes to, say they come to me and they say, I'm taking a survey and I'm measuring what you think of God's love and particularly what happened on the cross. And I want you to give me a score out of 100 of what took place on that cross out of 100. What do you think in terms of love? And of course, I just say, well, it's 100 out of 100. It's perfect love. It's, you know, it's a perfect score. And then um, in the coming months, I suffer some really big tragic loss, whether it's I go financially bankrupt or a loved one dies or I get some terminal um, illness, the doctor brings some news. And the same person comes back to me in my state of distress and he says to me, all right, you told me 100 out of 100, but now look what's happened in your life. Give me the score again. What do you think, you know, how do you measure what took place on the cross? And of course, it's still exactly the same, isn't it? That it's still 100 out of 100. No amount of suffering we go through says that God loves us less. And um, I think that sometimes it creeps into our subconscious that we think we're going through something and that somehow diminishes uh, how God loves us and we go looking for questions, looking for answers to why, why is this happening in my life? But we can go through those times and, and just remind ourselves that um, it doesn't diminish God's love for us at all. And I want to have a look at, I really like this story in John 9.1 that sort of, well, it raises some interesting questions, but it brings that point home. So in John 9, 1, there's this story about this blind man. And it says, Now as Jesus passed by, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind, excuse me, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Obvious question, you know, who's, do, who's done something wrong here? Why is this guy suffering? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. That's a pretty interesting answer, isn't it? Because we know that everybody sinned. So what's he saying now when he says neither these, his parents or this man have sinned? He's saying that whatever they've done, that's, they haven't done anything that's deserving of this blindness. Neither this man nor his parents have sinned. Now, I love this next statement, but the works of God should be revealed in him. So, it's fascinating to see what then unfolds in the next few chapters in this man's life, because if we can look at that guy and think, gee, he's got a bit of a reason to have a bit of a whinge, he's been blind all his life, and, you know, I don't know how old he was, but it says he was of age. So let's say he was about 20 years old. And uh, now he receives his sight. And you think that in the following readings he might have a little bit of a complaint about the way he's been treated, but that's not at all the case. If we treat, jump up to John 9.20, we see that he's been brought before, before the Pharisees. And the Pharisees start questioning him and saying, you know, who did this to you and how did this happen? So we pick it up there... I think it's about um, John 9.20. Um, so we're a bit further on. Sorry, I'll start on t- at 24. It says, so they called the man, so they, they again called the man, this is the Pharisees calling him who was blind, and said to him, 
give, give God the glory. We know this man is a sinner, referring to Jesus. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him again, how, do you, how did you, sorry, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already and did you, you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. Who is really blind here, you have to ask. Boy, you have to guard your heart, don't you? When you look at these guys who are the teachers of God's word and they could not see where this guy was from, where Jesus was from, even though he had just uh, healed a man who was blind from birth. So I think uh, pretty obvious that they were the ones who were really blind. So we know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. And so this blind man, who I would imagine would be fairly unlearned, unlearned, he's been blind and he's obviously not a Pharisee or a, um, a leader or a rabbi or anything like that. And then he answers, the man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvellous thing that you do not know where he's from. Yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but an but if anyone is a worshipper of God, he does his will and hears him. Since the world began, how did this guy have this knowledge? He just, uh, I think this comes out of the fact that God had chosen this guy, that he was going to do something amazing in this guy's life. He says, since the world began, he, it has been unheard of that any, anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you are completely born in sins and you're teaching us. Yep, he's teaching you, all right. And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you. Wow. You would look at that guy's life and say, you know, he's been through some hard times and some suffering, but look what came out of that. He not only received his physical sight, but he came to know the Lord and Saviour, the Son of God, and had an intimate encounter with him. And so sometimes we, we come up against suffering in our lives and we think, why is this happening to me? This has dis distanced me from God's life. But when you look at that example there and see what the, the outworking of that man's um, suffering was, the outworking of him being blind and then God wanting to reveal his glory through that particular um, guy's suffering, it's amazing. He got his sight back. He came to teach the Pharisees. He told them what the truth was and then he came to know uh, who the Son of God was and that was uh, the result of something we might say, oh, we'd never want to experience something like that. So um, just want to encourage you here today, I suppose, that if you are challenging, if you are going through some kind of challenge or some kind of thing that you think is distancing um, the love of the Father for you, to meditate on that story and have a, have a think about what can actually be the outcome. It, it in no way indicates that um, God's love has been diminished toward you. So I'm going to finish up. If the band wants to come up, I'm just going to finish up with... Uh, where we started up there that I want you to pray for 
your brothers and sisters once again about this idea that um, the suffering conclusion that when we go through trials and we go through suffering it can be to God's glory and hang on to that thought that God's love is still so deep, so high, so wide, so rich for you. You know, this can be, this can be such an amazing foundation to live out of that you have a, a full understanding of how much God loves you that every day, it's, it's changing my life, that you know, every day you can go through any circumstance in complete peace just knowing um, that the Father's love is there in every situation and that, um, that nothing is going to change that ever. It can be s- such a life-changing, um, deep revelation to get. So, yeah, let's just pray for one another. One another and you can, as, once again, if you feel to go on with that prayer, that's fine. But I've just written something down here. So, Father, we pray again for each other when suffering and trials come, that we could stand strong in the knowledge of your steadfast love and in these times that we would learn to, that we just learn to grow and learn to be strengthened and learn to hang on to faith and learn just to never doubt your beautiful love in every part of our life. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Michael.